Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and today I am joined by Sports Illustrated senior writer Charlotte Wilder. Charlotte is known as much for her sense of humor as she is for her incredible sports writing. Today we talk about one of the stories she's most proud of and why, why it's important to go with your gut, what makes funny work, and so much more. You guys are going to love this one. So without further ado, Get My Job with Charlotte Wilder. Charlotte, welcome to Get My Job. I am so excited to have you on today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. Oh, absolutely. You are one of my absolute favorite sports writers, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I laugh out loud. I would say pretty much all of your tweets make me laugh out loud. Oh, my God. Uh, Stop it, Tracy. You're going to encourage me to keep making even worse jokes. <laughs> They're so good, though. I love them. They just they, they crack me up, and I, I really relate to them. So I, I'm very excited to have you on, and I think you're such a wonderful voice for women in sports and women who want to work in sports. So Let's talk about it uh, and how you got started. When did you know that you first wanted to be a sports writer? So, yeah, I mean, I, I came to sports writing a lot later than I think most people in this profession. I think the majority of people uh, kind of grow up being like, you know, I want to be a sports writer. This is the dream. I think if you grew up obsessed with sports, this this can kind of feel like the ultimate Um and I feel that way now for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with what I do, but um, I didn't grow up obsessed with sports. I, I played a bunch of sports growing up, and um, I recently found the scrapbook I made in fourth grade uh, that just said the first page is just sports with, like, a bunch of random <laughs> words about sports. And then, like, I cut out all the Red Sox scores because I grew up outside of Austin. Uh, and that lasted, I think, about a week because then the rest of the book is blank. Um <laughs> and I was always, I was always, you know, like very active and um, I liked knowing about sports, but it was by no means like my identity. And um, it, you know, through high school and college, I was much more, I was writing about, you know, like arts and culture or lifestyle or, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it was just not sort of a thing that I saw myself doing. Um but I was working at boston.com as a general reporter. Um, and my first job was, I started doing sort of more Patriot stuff for them. And I, I really liked it. And I realized that, you know, sports Twitter was kind of a place you could play around. And I got the sense that sports was a great way to incorporate humor and voice into writing in a way that I think other subjects that can it didn't come as naturally to me in, in other uh, arenas. So USA Today reached out and they wanted to hire me. And I was like, I'm not a sports writer. And they're like, that's okay. You can write. And I was like, okay. So uh, I just kind of, I just kind of jumped in, took a leap of faith. And I think that it's been probably, I think moving into the sports space has been the best decision I've, I've made professionally. And how long ago was that when, when USA Today called? Uh, 2016. Okay, fantastic. Um, well, you're great at it. So USA USA Today was really smart. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Thank you. Good job, USA Today, and good job you. Um, <laughs> you found this is a, a little bit 
kind of a circuitous question. Is that I don't know if that's quite the right word. It's just it's a big word, so I wanted to use it. But I, <laughs> what you found when you're covering things like Gronk's beach party at the Super Bowl and things like that, do you find that the lifestyle content that you do, do you find that that skill set comes in handy? Um, I don't think it's so much of a subject matter skill set. I think that the most valuable thing as a foundation for me in my career has been a uh, growing up around writing. My mom was, um, my mom is a writer and, and she used to, when I was in high school, she would just edit my papers mercilessly. And at the time, you know, it drove me crazy. And now um, she, I'm, I'm, I've realized that she's just been like the best teacher and mentor I ever could have had. So I feel extremely lucky for that. But I also think that for me, the local reporting I did at Boston.com, which is a part of the Boston Globe, um, was invaluable. You know, I got there and I was 25, 24. I, can't, I was either 24 or 25 when I got there. And, um, you know, they would be like, there's a shooting in this part of, you know, this part of the city, call the police chief, get a quote. Um, I would. It would be like there was you know, this, this thing happened at this place, go there, get on the ground, like all the people you need to call, pick up the phone. And it just got me in the mindset of, you know, instead of just writing about something or speculating, like just ask, but you know, the best things that I get are when I ask obvious questions or, or when I ask like straight up, like what happened? Like, how does this feel? Um, and when you kind of go to the source, there are a lot of times where I think, you know, like, oh, I could do a dumb blog about this. Like I, I wrote when the cat ran across the field in Monday Night Football last season. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I sure do. It was I gi- followed that cat yeah, on it was Instagram. Gi- <laughs> 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 it was the Giants game. And, uh, you know, one of my editors was like, do you want to write like something dumb and funny about the cat? And I was like, yeah, what if I go out to Meadowlands and try to find the cat and talk to their PR people? And I tried and, and she was like, you, you could also just like, write a funny blog about it and like I was like no I'm always going to take it that one step further even if it's something that dumb because I think it actually like anytime you can add information anytime you can sort of take something to a next level whether it's for something serious or for humor um, I find that it just gives it that much more juice Um, so I think that less so the subjects that I've written about and more so the ways I've written about things and, and the practice I've gotten. And, you know, as you report more and more, as you write more and more, like hopefully you get better at it. Um, I think is what I would say. And going back to something you said a, a minute ago about asking questions and sometimes you get the best thing from the obvious questions, you know, this podcast is for women who work in sports and women who want to work in sports. And so what advice do you have on that? Because that was something for me that I struggled with a little bit early on where I'm like, I want to ask this question, but it feels so obvious. And then the person after me would just ask it um, as I was thinking yeah. that someone would ask the question and like gold comes out of it. So kind of what advice do you have uh, for reporters who are kind of shaping their questions and, and in, in some ways not getting too cute and just going to the heart of the matter? I had like 12 cliches in that one question, but. <laughs> no, um, for women specifically, or just sports reporters, it doesn't have to be. I think just you know sports reporters generally. Yeah, I don't think I would have different advice. You know, no matter who you are, I think. No, um, in to me, I think that sometimes in sports, because it is so competitive and because there's so much um, 
sort of history and knowledge that goes into these teams and these legacies and these players and who came before them and all this stuff. I think a lot of times uh, people are afraid of asking questions that might seem like they don't know the answer. You know, reporters or or talking heads or whatever are afraid that if they ask something obvious, it'll sound like they're not an expert anymore. Um, and I never think that is true. I think that you get the most interesting stuff when, and I kind of stumbled into this because when I was starting out and, you know, I was trying to catch up and learn everything um, about the industry, about the landscape, about who everybody was. I would just ask obvious questions because I didn't know. I'd be like, you know, where did like, where did you go to college? And a player would be like, you know, sometimes it would be like, why don't you know that? And like, normally I would look it up, but you know, in in an instance where like I just didn't know, or I found myself talking to someone I didn't expect to be talking to, you know, say you ask that, and and the person is like, well, you know, I went to Oregon, but I really wanted to go to, you know, wherever. And it sort of, it just furthers it. Like answers will always surprise you, I think. So, um, and then when it comes to, you know, locker room stuff, I think just asking what you want to know, because players don't want you to waste their time. Uh, And the most respectful thing you can do as a reporter is, ask a question in a respectful way, but something that, that is actually worth knowing and that is doing your fan, fans a service um, rather than, you know, try to make yourself sound smart or waste the player's time or try to make them like you. I think there's a, you know, you, you really just want to get in there to, to get the most interesting thing you can. And I found like if I'm doing a story, let's say on Raheem Mostert, if I say to Kyle Shanahan, can you talk about the game Raheem Mostert played today? Sounds like an obvious question, but you get gold because then he can talk about mm-hmm. Raheem Mostert. And that's what, I mean, there's not a, right. I usually try to think, is there a fancier way to say that? But no, and that's really what you want to know. Uh, so I think that's a really, that's excellent advice. Ask what you want to know. Because I think sometimes, especially when you're starting out and trying to, to prove yourself, you can try to you know, make it a little bit more complicated. And sometimes it's as simple as just, it's just asking what you want to know. That's excellent advice. Thank you. Um, so here's For kind sure. of, a, here's kind of an odd question, but when did you realize you were funny? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man, when did I realize I was funny? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for saying I'm funny. You're uh, it's, it's an empirical uh, thing. You're very funny. <laughs> um, I think that's really interesting. Um, I don't think I realized I was funny or that that was like a big part of who I am and what I care about. I think the first time I realized it was like seventh grade. I mean, I was always goofing around and, um, you know, growing up humor mattered so much on both sides of my family. Um, and I would watch, like I was raised watching the Marx brothers and Bill Murray movies and the Muppets. And I used to do an imitation of Robin Williams and, Aladdin that cracked my parents up when I was like five. And I think that that, that was the first, I think that's my earliest memory of being like, Oh, if I do this one thing, those guys are going to laugh. And that seems like a, that seems like a good thing. That feels great. Um, and you know, I used to write, like I, I would write silly stories, um, growing up, but I, I think that I really realized I was, that that was sort of a part of who I am or, or, or something that made people 
like being around me probably in seventh grade. I, uh, I just remember being in, in, you know, homeroom on one of the first days of class and I, I cracked some joke and someone sort of looked at me and was like, you're funny. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, but I, I don't think I really kind of leaned into it until like, I don't think I realized just how much it matters and just what a crucial part of who I am and what my work is until probably my mid twenties. I think that when I started writing and I started, when I was at Boston.com, I wrote a lot of essays. And then, you know, as I, as I progressed, as I went to USA Today, as I got to SB Nation, as I got to Sports Illustrated, um, the times that I was funny or the times that I wrote stories that had lines in it that people really connected to or that made them stop or, or laugh or, or surprise them. I mean, funny is all about surprise, right? It's like, mm-hmm. whoa, you took that in a direction I wasn't expecting and it makes me laugh. And I think the more that I've been able to do that, the more people have connected with my work and with me. And um, it's just a, a great tool to get people to stay interested in what you're talking about or to stay interested in um, the the thing you're writing or the thing you're saying on television or the thing you're saying on a podcast, like people want to be entertained. And I think about what do I want? And when I listen to something or when I read something, I want, I want to come away thinking like that was so funny because I think that funny inherently means smart. I think that there's, I think even the dumbest humor has to be pretty smart in order to pull it off. Um, because there are so many nuances and so many timing things and so many word choices that go into to making something really work. Um, so that was a very, very long answer, but I, I think it was sort of a slow process for me to, to realize like, oh, wait a second, like I can make funny my thing. <laughs> well, no, that was a, it was a good answer because it also um, also answered my next question, uh, or my, what was going to be my next question, but now my next question is, and I think this is kind of an, an important thing, especially in the world of social media and Twitter, sometimes mm-hmm. people will tweet a joke or tweet something they think is funny and is very much not, and they, they think about it later, and they think that was, oh, maybe, I don't know why I did that, why didn't I think about it? Do you have any tips for people when dealing with Twitter, whether it be if you're not sure, don't do it? Or do you just try it out and see how it goes? Do you have any you know, tips for that kind of in this social media age where everything you say, even if you delete it, can get screenshotted? For sure. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think the, the problem with the advice of if you're not sure, don't do it, is because a lot of times when I've taken a risk on something that I'm not sure is when it's been – the funniest or the most successful, mm-hmm. but I never do that with anything serious. Like if there's a serious situation and I think of a joke about it and I'm not sure I don't do it. If there's okay. something where the worst thing that happens is if I tweet this, people are going to think I'm an idiot or I'm going to be embarrassed because people didn't think it was funny. That's a risk I'm willing to take. Um, I, I, I try to do everything on social media. Um, you know, a lot of jokes, a lot of things, a lot of uh, talking about sports involve real people. Uh, and I think it's really easy to lose sight of that when um, they seem so untouchable or so famous. But I always try to conduct myself where if I said the thing 
if I said the thing I tweeted to someone's face, would I say that? Um, and because you might be in a room with these people later and I never want to be, I, I don't want to make people feel bad. Like I, I think that there are people who would very much disagree with that and say like people, if you're public, you deserve to be, you know, and, and if someone's done something horrible, of course that's different. But if you're just kind of making a joke about some guys like poor performance on the field and you take it to a really nasty place, that to me isn't, that's not how I conduct myself. And I understand that, that there are people who do and that that's their thing. And, and, you know, that's, that's their choice. So this isn't necessarily advice. It's more of just like what I've learned that I'm comfortable with. And, and I, I don't, I don't have the stomach for, um, for online, uh, fights in a way that I think some people have. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, have people you trust, like a lot of times if there's a tweet I want to send or, you know, an Instagram I want to post or a joke I want to make, I send it to my friends in the industry who I really trust and who I know have a good gauge of the space and of who I am. And they can say like, yeah, don't tweet that. Or like, oh no, that's actually really funny. You should tweet that and um, kind of crowdsource it before you potentially put it in front of millions of people. That's good advice. That's excellent advice. I do that too. The one, like, the one other thing that I would say is um, Chris Long actually told me this. He was like, you know, tweet as if any, anyone retweet can mean that millions and millions of people see it. So tweet assuming that millions and millions of people are going to see everything you say. That's really good advice. <laughs> that's yeah. That's I think that's excellent advice. Um, and I, I agree with you. I do not have the stomach to get nasty and then be in a room with that person two days later and be like, sorry, I didn't mean it. And I understand where there are, you know, journalistic instances where, or, you know, you have to do that. And, um, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's sort of a personal choice. So, you know, that's kind of all I can say as to how I, is, is how I do it. Well, that makes sense. And that's why we have you on. We want to know how you do it. So that, <laughs> that, so that works out really well. How do you deal with this kind of leads in, the, in my next question? How do you deal with social media trolls? Um, and what tips do you have? Because I think that's a, a hard thing for anyone, not just young women coming into the sports industry, not just young men coming into the sports industry. It's just for people. Um, so I'd love to know how you kind of deal with social media trolls and, and tips that you have in doing so. Um, that's something I think about a lot. Uh, I think I have, for whatever reason, gotten into, had a lot of experience of this um, from both people I don't know, like complete strangers on the internet, and people I do know who've come at me, and uh, it it affects me very differently. I I don't, to be honest, I don't get um, nearly as much abuse as, um, you know, some people in this industry do uh, who are writing about very sensitive issues um, because, you know, I, I've, I, my lane is more sort of the funny, um, I don't know if necessarily lighter, but, you know, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm not out there um, doing really heavy stuff often that can be more, um, more up for people to disagree with. Uh so the the comments I do get they don't I 
I kind of just don't even see them anymore. Like if someone tweets at me, like get back in the kitchen, I'm like, that's adorable. I'm so much more successful than you are. Uh, or if, you know, if, if someone says like something about my appearance, I just don't, I, for whatever reason, I'm like, you have no idea who I am. All you see is what I put out there publicly. And and I think that's a huge, huge thing that I would say. Um, I've actually talked to my therapist a lot about this. I think that there have been instances where I've had some experiences that have been like a little more traumatic than I've probably let myself realize they are after the fact. Um, I mean, in the moment, and then after the fact, been like, oh, that kind of messed me up a little bit. Uh, and, you know, I think what's super helpful is to remember that what you present online, like it is authentic, it is me, it is how I want to be seen, but it is still not all of me. And so if someone has an issue with that, it's it's not it's a referendum on what I've decided to show them. It's not a referendum on like who I inherently am as a person and what I stand for. Uh and keeping that slight distinction I think is is very helpful. Uh it's really hard to do. I think that for me the instances when when I've when people come at me uh, in a very public way, uh, it, it's it's been hard, but it's I know it's part of the job, and you just kind of like, you know, I, I I've gotten a much thicker skin, and to the point where sometimes like friends who aren't in the industry will send me a response to a tweet that someone said to me that was rude or whatever, and. Um, they're like, oh my God, how do you deal with this? And I'm like, oh, that didn't even phase me. Like I saw that and just kept scrolling right past it. Like it just, it, it's practice. And I know that I'm obsessed with this job that I want to do it badly enough. And if that's what comes with it, then like, that's, that's just kind of a, a job hazard. I guess. I think, I think that's fair. And I think you do have to have a thick skin and you, you, not just you, but the universal, you can't take things personal personally because it's not personal and you nailed it on the head they don't know you they know what you put online yeah. but these people don't know you and so you just can't take anything they say personally it's about them um whatever they, right. whatever they decide to come at you with is is their issue and not yours so i think that's really that's really good advice and and i i do also what i will say is that there have been times when um i've learned a lot from criticism when when um you know it might have been ugly and it might have been unpleasant but um maybe there's a kernel of truth in, in some of it. And so I've, I, I do try to, um, I think that even if something's painful, you can often learn something from it. Um, and so that's kind of, I think that I've gotten a lot better because of those moments. Is there a criticism you received uh, early on or, or at any point in your career that you can point to that really did help you in a positive way? Um. You know, I, I when you sent me the questions when when I read that one, it was something I um, kind of struggled with because I know there's been that. I, I think I think uh, I used to be. I still am an impatient person, but I used to be much more impatient, um, especially when I was, you know, my mid twenties and my. I I would think that I was not owed something, but that I had a right to express my opinion or be heard or, um, you know, I would get frustrated if I, if I weren't farther along. And, you know, I think someone said like, you got to chill out or like, you know, there, there's time for this still. And, um, 
I think that because I am very ambitious and I'm very competitive and I'm very hard on myself, I it's very easy to kind of spiral in the moment or one little thing can become a huge thing for me. And so someone was like, you know, if you really want to do this, like this is a marathon, you know, you're not going to, the people who survive in this industry are the ones who, who can let things go, who can bounce back, who can weather the storm and um, every little thing doesn't derail them. And it's something that I still struggle with, but you know, I remember that and I'm like, okay, but gonna wake up the next day and and try to do it again and and like hopefully we're gonna we're gonna get where we're going um so I don't know if that's like a a specific criticism of like my work but I think the mentality of being in this industry is just important to lasting as the actual stuff you do I I honestly think that type of criticism or advice or constructive advice is maybe even more valuable than criticism on your work because that feels very subjective Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, calm down and weather the storm feels more like, okay, that I needed to hear that. And then I can take that with me. And it's a kind of thing. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that sounds so obvious, but like until you're in it, until you're having a horrible moment, until you're dealing with something you never thought you'd have to deal with until you're crushed by a disappointment, like you don't understand how true it is. And it just takes data points and reps and like having things go wrong and then coming out the other side and being like, well, I'm still here. So, mm-hmm. and it's the only, it, it only comes with practice. It only comes with just doing it. Um, and once you start doing it because you have to, that's when I've noticed that that's when I've been like, Oh wow. Okay. I actually see what, what they were talking about. What is some of your work uh, that you've been the most proud of maybe whether it be an article, a podcast, uh, something with the Wilder project, but what are a couple of things that you've been the most proud of, or maybe had the most fun doing? Oh man. Um, I think the thing that has the, the story that, um, I don't know if I can say I'm more proud of one thing I've done than another, but I think that there have been various touch points in my career that have meant very specific things to me and that I will always carry with me. The first one of those um, was a story I did three years ago on the Kentucky Derby. Uh, It was the first time I was traveling for a big story that I had pitched myself. I was alone. Uh, I was going somewhere for, I was going to the race for the weekend. I didn't really have any idea I had some vague idea that the Kentucky Derby said something about America, but I, and I knew, and I knew what I was getting at, but I had no idea how I was going to pull it off. And then in 36 hours, I wrote a 5,000 word story that I think was the first time I wrote something that I was truly, truly proud of. And I was, 28 years old. And I think that, I mean, there were other things I was proud of, but this one, this one hit different. This one is something that I can go back and read and be like, okay, maybe I would have used a different word. Maybe I would have like flowed this part slightly differently, but it is a story that I still read. And I'm like, man, you did kind of crush that. Uh, And so I think, I think for me, that moment, that race, that experience was you know, the Kentucky Derby every year after that one has come around, it's, it's, it's meant so much to me because that was the first time I truly believed, okay, maybe I can do this. 
and I think that I have those moments with every medium I've worked in. I think that, you know, in, in video, when um, I've done a few things, I think the Jeff Fisher interview I did uh, last year or two years ago, I don't, time is a construct. Um, <laughs> the, the, the interview I did with Jeff Fisher was, you know, it was a big sit down, but it was also um, a sort of scene based thing. And, you know, the, the the crew I was working with absolutely crushed it. But I also felt like, okay, you, you asked the right questions, you, you came off sounding knowledgeable, but funny, and sort of pushed the right things forward. And it was, it flowed well. And, and, and so that was a big moment for me. I think the things that I'm most proud of are where I have been so scared that I can't pull something off and then I've pulled it off. And not only have I pulled it off, but it has been something that I can go back a year, two years, three years later and still stand behind it and still be like, yeah, no, I'm proud of that. I'm glad that's my face or I'm glad that's my name. Um, and you know, there's always something you can get better at. Uh, and it just makes me want to to keep trying to get better and, and, and to have more of those moments where I'm like, man, you you, you can do this. Um, because I think that it's very easy, you know, no matter how much someone might look at you online and think like, wow, she's doing it. Like there is so much self-doubt and so much, um, a lot of, a lot of like psyching yourself up you have to do. Um, and, uh, so when I see that, when I'm like, no, that that was worth it, you did it, um, and and it's something that is authentically you. That's when I'm like, okay, cool, <laughs> I'm proud of that. I think that makes sense. I think that's that's awesome. So uh, switching gears a little bit, obviously this podcast is on Fangirl Sports Network, so we've created a place for fans. Um, I cover the 49ers as 49ers Fangirl, and I get asked this question a lot on how do you do that? How do you not scream in the press box? And I'm like, kind of similar to you. I, I love this job and I wouldn't want to do anything. I can keep my emotions intact during a game. Um, it's worth keeping the job and I stay professional. I obviously don't wear team gear, all of that kind of stuff. But I think as sports journalists, it's become somewhat more accept acceptable to really be open about the teams that you love and root for them. Obviously not as necessarily on a beat but how do you keep a balance because obviously you are a huge new england sports fan all the new england teams and so how do you keep that balance in your reporting um in your fandom if that made sense that was kind of a odd way yeah no it, it did for sure um i think for me because i came to this a little bit later um it would have felt inauthentic to all of a sudden pretend i wasn't a fan because you know for a few years before i was in sports I'd tweet about watching Patriots games I'd tweet about the Red Sox I'd tweet, like so if I were to all of a sudden become a sports writer and then be like huh weird I have never loved I, I, I no longer love this team people would be like that's not true like we don't believe you so I don't feel like I ever really had to make a conscious choice because it was so obvious to me that it would feel like lying and I think that everybody has biases and to me, I would rather know what your biases are before I read your work than read it without knowing. Because I think that, I think if it used to be if you were a sports writer, you had to completely um, squash all of that. But I don't necessarily think, not necessarily, I don't think 
being a fan means you can't be objective. I think just because I, I root for a team doesn't mean I can't see that they've done something wrong. And if I'm writing about the Patriots, I, nothing I've ever written has been different from how I'd write it if I hated them or if I loved them. And I'm sort of asking readers to trust me and say, you know, we believe you that that's true. And, you know, maybe they don't, but I think for the most part, um, I, I also think that, you know, I'm not just a straight reporter or, or journalist. Like there's an element of personality in, in most of what I do to the point where um, I probably have more leeway than, than someone who is, you know, a, a pretty straightforward um, breaking news writer on the NFL beat. I, I think that I definitely get, um, I get a little bit more slack, which, which might not be fair, but it, it's sort of how, how I've approached it um, just because it felt like the most authentic and most honest way to interact with people or, or to talk to people. And people ask me that, and I say, well, my handle is 49ers Fangirl, so it's not like a big shock that I am, in fact, mm-hmm. a 49ers fan. It's just I, I think what you said is is very true. The way I write, whether I love them I, or I hate them, the way I write, what happens, happens. You know, front office decisions are front office decisions. What happens in the field happens in the field. Play calling decisions are playing calling decisions. So, you know, it, it, that's just is what it is. So it's, it's knowing when to put in bias and, and when not to and I think that's mm-hmm. what people, people respect um you, so you talked about your mom uh, as a writer and being such a mentor for you have there been other women um that have inspired you in your career oh man so many uh I think every woman I know in sports inspires me on some level uh well, maybe that's not true. <laughs> um, all the all all of the women that I like am friends with really inspired me. Um, no, I'm 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 being facetious. I I do think that truly just to exist in this space as a woman is is impressive in and of itself. And so I I do think that on that level, like everyone doing this, sticking with it, um, showing up, really does impress me. Um, I think there's a whole lot of garbage we have to deal with that men don't, um, you know, and not even like the obvious stuff, just like little things, um, that I'm, I'm not thinking of a good example right now, but, um, I almost, I don't, I don't really want to name names because I think that, um, a lot of people have asked me like, who, who inspires your career? Like who, who do you look up to? Who do you want to be? And I'm like, I don't want to be anyone. I want to be myself. And I don't think anyone's done exactly what I want to do, how I want to do it. And I don't think just because I'm a woman means I have to look to another woman to be the model, to be the only way I can do something. And I think that that's what's so impressive about so many people is that they are completely true to themselves and that they, the women in this industry have, you know, bushwhack through the forest to make these paths and hopefully it makes it easier for people who come after them who come after me who come after the people who come after me um but i also don't want young girls to listen to this and be like oh well i guess if she has someone she chose i need to choose someone and then i need to do things a certain way because i think that can be limiting and i would love to get to a point where people are saying Look, I I don't think that there are many, I don't think many people would ask men, like, 
who's the man who showed you this was possible? And I would love to get to a point in this industry where that's not even, uh, there's nothing so special about being a woman in it that you need to ask that. And so I think that kind of talking about it, starting to talk about it that way can also be helpful. And at the same time, I'm, I'm a realist. Like I know that it's different. Um, and so I think just any woman who has, found a way to incorporate humor, who has, um, you know, managed a big following and, and sort of just stuck with it is, is so incredibly inspiring to me. Well, I think you nailed it. You don't want to be anybody else. You just want to be you. And that's, I think, the most important advice um, that you can give. And people ask me that, men or women, <laughs> you know, wanting to be in sports and, I say that to them a lot, like be who you are. You don't want to be the next so-and-so. There is no next so-and-so. Yeah. You just have to be you. Um, and I think that's, I think you really um, nailed it with that one. Uh, if you could give our listeners a piece of advice for starting a career in sports journalism, what would it be? Men or women, really anybody who wants to be uh, in this field, is there any advice that you have that you would give them? I would say I think there are a few different things. Um, I think the first would be that, you know, if you're starting out, your first job probably isn't going to be your dream job, and that's okay. Uh, it's very easy to look at other people who maybe have skyrocketed in their careers really quick, really early, um, and think, like, why am I not on the sideline? Why am I not, you know, on this program? Why am I not getting these huge bylines? Um, but, you know, if you're lucky, knock on wood, life is long, and there'll be time for that. And, and working in this industry really is um, – it's a tough one um, and you have to really want to be here. And I think what I would also say is like, if you get a little ways in and it's not worth it, do something else. <laughs> like I think I often say like for people who want to be writers, I'm like, look, if writing isn't a compulsion, like if you don't have to do this, if you think there's something else you could do that would make you just as happy or that you're just as good at, then like consider it. Because I think that, Often people who've grown up thinking they want something and then they get in it and they're like, oh, wait, actually, this is this is very different from how I thought it would be. Or this is a lot harder or this industry is so unstable. It's not worth it. Like, that's fine. It doesn't mean you've given up. It just means you're you're making a smart choice for yourself. Um, I, but but, you know, if you if you do get to a point where you're like, nope, this is this is what I want to do, I think. um you know, being available and, and taking risks and being willing to move for a job or, um, you know, figure out what it is you do well and figure out what you do that other people can't do or that you do better than other people or that you like more. Um, and then really hone those skills and just get a lot of reps in, like write a lot. If you're on camera, do a lot of stand-ups, do a lot of you know, panel discussions, make your friends sit down with you. And even if you don't have a huge platform, like start a YouTube channel or, you know, I start, I, I got into journalism because I had a blog. Like, I don't know if that's possible anymore. I think it, things have changed a lot since 2011, but um, you know, if, if you're doing it and if you have content people like, if your social is good, people are going to pay attention. And um, you know, it, it, it takes, it takes one yes to kind of get you in the right direction. Um, but also, you know, like reach out to people you admire if they don't get back to you. 
it's not a personal referendum on who you are. They're probably just very busy and didn't see it. Uh, and, um, you know, make those connections because I think this industry, for better or for worse, often for worse, but sometimes for better, is about who you know and, and making those connections and building those relationships are going to be really, really helpful. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you. Great advice for anybody. Um, so before yeah. we head into five fun facts, which is my favorite part because I like mm -hmm. facts, as everybody knows, um, can you take us through a day in the life of Charlotte Wilder as much as you're comfortable sharing? For sure. Uh, it's tough because my schedule varies so much. Um, mm -hmm. And what I do is, you know, if I'm traveling, if I'm on the road, I'm know reporting from like seven to midnight and then writing and then you know like it, it can be as crazy as that or um you know me sitting in my apartment writing by myself and that's not very exciting um <laughs> but I think the constants are um I'm really not a morning person <laughs> so uh I kind of I kind of start slower in the morning and um I think that I, I try to, I'm not a huge routine person, which is a little, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, but, you know, for something like the NFL playoffs, um, yeah, I don't know. I really, I'm sorry, Tracy. I don't think I have like a typical day. I can't even think of one day I could give as an example that would be somewhat close to the truth. Um, well, but, but I most of the time, sorry, go ahead. I would just say most of the time it involves like writing, trying not to freak out about something, watching some sports game, writing about a sports game, or talking to a lot of people and then transcribing what they say. <laughs> well, but I think that there's value in that too, honestly, for listeners and that that's kind of the life of a sports writer. There is no day that's the same as any others. And, and I asked this question of all of our guests and we, we get a variety of answers, but I get asked this question a lot and I'm, I say it just depends on the day. It depends if it's a game day. It depends if I'm going to practice. It depends if it's just a Tuesday. I mean, it just depends. So I, I think there's value mm -hmm. in kind of knowing that as a sports writer, as a sports journalist, no two days really are the same and that you have to be prepared for that. There's a certain mindset that has to be okay with that. Some people love routine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's something I would definitely say. Like, I love traveling. I love the unexpected nature of this job. I love not really knowing what I'm going to be doing uh, in a few months or in whatever. Uh, there are people who definitely don't like that. Um, and so I think that you have to make sure that your temperament or, like, what you can handle or what makes you happy or what keeps you going is conducive to the job. And there are ways you can do this job and still have a routine. Um, but there are also ways you can do it like I do and just have no idea where you're going to be in five days. Which is fine. There's something to be said for that. That's exciting. Uh, even, I mean, I have a general idea during the season and there are times I'm based in LA and, and I cover the 49ers. There are times that I have a general idea of what I look, my week's going to look like. And then something comes up at like, I get a press release or something at eight o'clock at night and like, I'm booking a flight to San Jose tomorrow. So you just never know. That's kind of the beauty of it. Uh, so that's, that's totally fun. Uh, so speaking of fun, it's time for five fun facts. Uh, I think I think everybody knows this is something I started with the 49ers players that I do with them, and they usually get to just pick 
their fun facts that they share with everybody. But on this podcast, we ask all of our guests the same five fun facts. So whenever you're ready, Charlotte, I will rattle them off. Love this. Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite moment in sports? I have two. Um, the first is uh, when the women won the World Cup in um, 19, oh my God, was it 98 or 99? I can never remember. Okay. Well, one of the, whenever, whenever they won the World Cup and Brandy Chastain ripped off her shirt and I was watching with um, my youth soccer team and it is one of my clearest memories. I, w- I remember like starting starting the beginning of the penalty kicks on the couch and by the end I was like standing on an armchair or something and just freaking out and immediately running into the backyard and playing soccer and it was this incredible moment of oh my god these people look like me and they're in the biggest stage and they are crushing it and um, just being so proud and so excited and thinking it was so cool that I did a thing that these incredible women had just done on the biggest stage. Um, you know, I was obsessed with Mia Hamm. Uh, and then I think my second would have to be when the, when the Sox uh, won the World Series in 2004. I mean, I just remember, like, sobbing as <laughs> they hosted the trophy. Um, and, you know, we didn't have school for – we didn't have homework for, like, three weeks in October, and I skipped school to go to the parade. And it was just a truly um, – a really incredible moment that I will, I will never forget. And that's awesome. No homework for three weeks, weeks in October. I'm sure there are a lot of people that would be totally down with that. Um, oh yeah, it was great. Uh, what is your life motto? Go with your gut. That's a good one. That is a really good one. Yeah. So far, so far, so good. But I, have you seen Knives Out? No, I have not seen it yet. Okay, well, there's this one character who throws up every time she lies, like she physically can't do it. And I feel like when I do something or when I start making a choice or when I go down a path that is not right, I like physically start to black out. Like I I feel sick. And so it's gotten to, it like truly is a physical thing for me where I'm like, if this isn't right, I'm going to feel it. And I've stopped trying to pretend that I can power through. So, uh, it's, it's been it's been helpful, but not necessarily a choice. Okay, well, but still helpful. <laughs> I think it's very helpful. Yeah. Do you have a go-to workout? Uh, yeah, I run a lot, um, which I think people might find funny because, like, I don't really talk about it ever. Um, but I'll run between, like, three and seven miles five times a week. Um and then um, I do, like, I have, I use this app, Aptive, which I love. Uh, you just put headphones on, and they, like, take you through a, like, high-intensity workout. Or, um, you know, I try to do some upper body stuff so that my arms don't just, like, hang there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I have pretty bad anxiety and have dealt with depression. And I find that um, the one thing that really keeps me sane and keeps me as happy um, as I can be, or at least kind of on the right track is, um, is like working out a lot. And, um, which is sometimes great. Cause you know, it, it keeps me healthy and it makes me feel a lot better, but also sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just lie here on my couch, but like, I'm going to freak out if I don't move. So that's, uh, that's, that's sort of where, where I'm at. Well, I think that's, 
I think that's great. It's such, I always tell people it's so important mentally as well as physically, maybe even more so mentally. Like if, if I don't yeah, work out, I, for a couple I, days, I do it. I do it like much more for, for mental reasons than, uh, than anything else. But yeah, I'm not like a big class person because I have trouble getting myself to them when I need to be there. So instead I just put my shoes on and like go outside and see where I end up. There's really, I think there's nothing better. There's nothing better for clearing your head than just like putting on headphones and going on a run. There's something about it that is very cathartic. Yeah, I used to, I used to not love running and now I'm like pretty obsessed with it. So I guess there's hope for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there is. Yes, I guess there is. Um, do you have a go-to coffee order? Um, I usually just get a like tall, oh, not tall, like a large regular black coffee. And then I put a ton of milk and sugar in it myself. <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> I'm like coffee, nice. coffee is dessert. So let's do it. That's totally fair. I feel very similarly. Um, and last but not least, do you have a book that you think every woman should read or that every person should read? It doesn't necessarily have to be women. Um, I mean, Little Women has been, you know, my, my ultimate go-to for my whole life. But I think I, I recently read uh, this book of Alice Monroe short stories called Too Much Happiness. And um, it is, they're such incredibly told stories and pretty devastating, but they're so human and they examine so many different feelings that everybody can relate to even if it's on kind of an exaggerated level and recently I've been telling everyone to read that so I'm going to keep that train going. Fantastic. I will check it out for sure. Thank you very much for joining me today Charlotte. This was great. Oh of course. I had such a great time um, and I, I love that you're love what you're doing. So Thank my you pleasure. Very much. Thank you so much. All right everybody we'll talk to you next week and don't forget as always to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network and to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Talk to you next week, everybody. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.